Paul Kerharski Podcast is brought to you by the Yazoo Brewing Company, celebrating 15 years of beer in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome in to this week's edition of the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I am, in fact, Paul Kuharski, coming to you from an undisclosed location in the suburbs of Philadelphia uh, following a whirlwind uh, one-day tour of uh, the NFL annual meetings. NFL annual meeting, they call it. We call it the owner's meetings. Um, and I was down to visit the owners' meetings for the first time in uh, in my career. We're sponsored here by Yazoo Brewery, uh, some of the best beer in and around Middle Tennessee. Check it out if you haven't, and continue to drink it if you have. I'm a big fan of the Hefeweizen. I don't really believe in seasonal beers, so uh, I know a lot of people think of that as a summertime thing. I think of it as a year-round thing, but uh, you know their logo of the red and white kind of sunburst. Um, It's a cool-looking deal. It's some delicious beer, and they have been uh, most helpful in uh, getting and keeping this thing going. So we appreciate them, and I hope you will keep them in mind. I was down uh, at the owner's meeting, uh, courtesy of MDI Construction, a very, very fruitful trip where uh, I did get to corner Amy Adams Strunk for some time, got her on several important issues, some of which I've already reported on the website, some of which I've not yet reported on the website. We'll talk about that in part two which is for members only. And if you're not a member, uh, I encourage you to join paulkuharski.com. It's a steal at $5.99 a month. You can get 12 months for the price of 11. And uh, I know a lot of people out there like to say they can get uh, what I'm doing anywhere. But I'll tell you right now, you're not, uh, you know, if you're reading ESPN.com, if you're reading the Tennessean, you didn't find out first where uh that dick lebeau was out you didn't find out first that matt lafleur was in you didn't find out that john robinson got a contract extension about three weeks ago which i reported from the owners meetings uh you didn't find out the uniform detail that i've shared uh at the blog so um at the page so don't fool yourself if you're if you're all the way into this team uh one of the things you need in addition to a new jersey next week is uh, as a membership to paulkuharski.com. I've got opening day fever a little bit, even though I'm in the Northeast and it's cold. Uh, I haven't stepped foot outside today, but Yankees open tomorrow. Everybody opens tomorrow. See, the Reds have already been pushed back. Um, I've got a fantasy draft, I think, on Friday night, so I'm always excited about that. There's just something about baseball still to me. I don't watch it as much as I used to. I don't follow it as much as I used to. I love watching my kid play and playing catch with him. Uh, actually looking at our two ball gloves right now because we're hoping to play some catch uh, during this spring break trip to visit some family. But uh, certainly excited about opening day. Certainly hoping I get some of my Yankees uh, in my fantasy draft. And uh, doubly excited with opening day on the horizon that I found a reason to go to New York. Springsteen extended Springsteen on Broadway <clears throat> through into December. I uh, had a code from the initial initial sales. This is the third extension of the show. And finally, today, uh, I landed a ticket. Uh, I was hoping for a pair, but uh, settled for one on July 14th, a Saturday night. I'll uh, I'll make a trip up to New York and see Bruce on Broadway, which uh, 
my brother's been to and a lot of friends of mine have been to, and I'm extremely jealous. On to Titan stuff. Uh, big wind up there. John Robinson got a contract extension. Look, I'm not going to claim that I'm responsible for this, but I do know the thinking behind it. And uh, I wrote at the site on January 22nd after Vrabel was in place and got a five-year deal that it might be a wise course of action for the Titans to line up uh, John Robinson and Mike Vrabel's contracts because I think that there are problems that result from a GM and a coach not having their contracts aligned and not feeling like they uh, are equally at risk, you know, and um, I'd certainly – I think not having Mike Malarkey and John Robinson lined up that way certainly exacerbated their problems. They ultimately got to the right place. But I think having them lined up the right way is a smart thing. We saw the same thing happen with Quinn and Patricia in Detroit, and I believe with Keim and Wilkes in Arizona. And so um, Titans have a GM and a coach now, both under contract um, through 2022. Now they need to go off and do their good work, but they really are, uh, their success and their timetables and all of that stuff are interlocked. And I think that's simply the best way to do it. Because if one guy is up before the other guy, even if it's on a subconscious level, he's trying, uh, you know, we all try to stay alive, right? And you're trying ultimately to, to keep your job. And uh, if the two of them are trying to keep their job, looking for for extensions at at the same time and this is a ways off now uh you would think they sink or swim together and they can't if things were to go south i'm not saying they will go south but they do tend to go south over time you just hope it's not for a long time that the two of them um you know see a lot of benefit in the other's success and in the other's um sustained success And so uh, I think it's a good move by Amy Adams Strunk. I was uh, certainly obviously glad that she shared it. If you're a member, you've seen the video of her talking about it. Um, I I, I thought she, she was great with me and I'm really appreciative, appreciative that she took the time. I know uh, it's not her favorite thing to do. She's getting better at it. Um, But I got a a lot of good information and I think it, it is important that she, um, that the fans of her team have uh, a better and better feel for her. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a bit of a conduit for that. On, on to a couple more football matters. Uh, Mike Vrabel obviously talked with, uh, with many of us. Uh, Jim Wyatt and I being the only Nashville presence, by the way, at his table at breakfast at the owner's meeting. Um, one of the things we talked about was Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry and that work sp- split. And, and Vrabel wasn't uh, super excited about talking about scheme matters. Um, <clears throat> but he did offer up there, you know, in talking about Den- Derrick Henry, he called him a first and second down back or described him in his description of him. He used the words first and second down back. Um, and Deion Lewis, you know, categorized as, as, as quicker. So, you know, maybe their initial thinking uh, is the kind of, stereotypical what you would think if you're looking at the two of them. I know a lot of analysts have been speculating that Deion Lewis could get more work uh, on the early downs than we expect. Uh, Warren Sharp on the midday 180 talked to us about how passes to a running back on first and second down are maybe the most underused uh, successful play in the sport. 
So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But uh, on, on his initial chance to talk about those two guys, um, Vrabel kind of categorized them as you might expect. He also said that when he gets home uh, from the owner's meeting, which is, uh, you know, middle of this week, uh, it might be home already. I'm recording here on, uh, on, on Wednesday afternoon that he thought that the playbooks would be very close to done uh, with Dean Pease working on the defensive playbook and Matt LaFleur working on the offensive playbook. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by all that goes into that. You know, you're, you're bringing an offensive or defensive philosophy in, but you've also got a staff of guys that have come from, from different places and worked with different coaches who might have some different ideas that you want to incorporate. You might have some things that you couldn't get to when you were involved uh, in LaFleur's case. You know, he didn't have, uh, you know, anything close to final authority. In Pease's case, uh, you know, <clears throat> that's a defense in Baltimore that had been uh, kind of shaped before him all the way back to, to Marvin Lewis. Uh, and, and then you don't know, you know, maybe there's some things he wanted to do that that uh, John Harbaugh wasn't willing to, to go along with, that Mike Vrabel will be willing to go along with. And then you're, you're trying to shape these things to the guys that you inherit, who you've only, you know, you see their numbers on paper and you've watched their film and what they can do in other people's schemes, but you haven't had them, uh, haven't had your hands on them, so to speak, on the field. Um, and so certainly that playbook will be tinkered with as things go on, but um, you've not, You've not had those guys, and so uh, I'm kind of fascinated by the the science behind how they put that all together, the art and science of it, if you will. Um, and that's something I'll be asking about down the road. Uh, player acquisition. Since we last spoke, Kevin Pamphil, um, a guard who's versatile and can play up and down the line, uh, was signed to a one-year deal from uh, Tampa Bay. John Robinson helped scout Pamphil. Um, when he was drafted in the fifth round by the Bucks out of Purdue. And more recently, Suafilo, Xavier Suafilo, signed from the Houston Texans, also a guard. Um, these two guys, I would think, are now in competition with Quentin Spain, presuming that he signs his tender, which he will, unless he's given an offer by someone else. I can't see that he would be. Uh, a middling guard is not going to could draw a, a contract offer for a restricted free agent, even if he, he would leave with no compensation having to be given back. And maybe Corey, uh, Corey Levin would also be in the mix there. So four guys conceivably competing for left guard. Uh, it's the next best scenario to having a clear cut starting left guard, right? Um, I'm presuming Josh Klein is in place based on the free agent contract. He got to stay. Ben Jones, you know, should be feeling some pressure, but none of these guys are natural centers as much as they are guards. Um, and it should be a good competition. Three out of the four Titans' big outside free agents are connected to the Titans in some fashion from a previous stop. So I mentioned Pam Field was um, in Tampa Bay when John Robinson was running the draft there. Sua Filo is, uh, comes from Houston, where Mike Vrabel saw him for the last three seasons uh, do his thing. And he's an athletic guy who hasn't really panned out. And then um, we shall see uh, Malcolm Butler, 
the the big ticket item here who John Robinson uh, helped scout in New England, the lone guy of the big four. I mean, Suofilo and Pamphilo, one of them might not make the roster, so I'm not putting them in the same category as as Malcolm Butler and Deion Lewis. But the Titans don't have previous experience with Deion Lewis. He uh, didn't arrive in New England until after John Robinson was gone from there. But the Titans certainly relying on their connections, um, and that's why I wrote these pieces ahead of free agency, kind of mapping out all the guys that uh, Robinson and Vrabel and Lafleur and Pease and their staffs were connected to from previous jobs. And lo and behold, uh, three of them have wound up on the Titans roster. The Malcolm Butler question was a big one. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this was uh, lucky or unlucky. I think it's an unlucky thing for Mike Vrabel in that he uh, his table was next to um, was next to the table for Bill Belichick at the at the breakfast, which is with reporters. And he um, Belichick doesn't come in there for the whole hour or close to it. And so all of those um, Patriots reporters were waiting on Belichick, but also they weren't about to stand around. And with Mike Vrabel right nearby, they could come over and ask Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler questions. I know Greg Bedard, uh, who started his own venture, a Boston sports journal up there, uh, sat down and, and was very curious about spending $30 million guaranteed on a, on a player who uh, was benched for the Super Bowl and curious about the degree to which uh, the Titans investigated that. And uh, Vrabel said, you know, he didn't, he didn't talk to Belichick about it and that they felt fine about uh, Butler character wise. But my general feeling was that, you know, the Titans didn't think it was a huge deal that it was a, a you know, team issue that didn't really extend beyond uh, that team and that moment and that game or the preparation for that game. So that was interesting. I also talked to Vrabel about these pro day drills, pro day drills, because he's getting uh, a lot of hype for jumping into these drills. We saw a video of him at USC and at Alabama uh, jumping out and working with the linebackers, you know, holding pads in his hand and, and, uh, and banging into guys. And he said he really loves that part of the whole process uh, that he won't coach, you know, after he can't do that anymore. And I was curious kind of about the protocol because, um, at, at the senior, at the senior bowl, there, coaching staffs at, at the combine, I think you have to put in a request to run a drill and somebody's making a choice there, but he said, he just pops in on these drills. You know, there's no real protocol. And if he's flying out to California to USC, uh, you know, he wants to get more than he could get on the tape that he would just be watching um, if he was sitting in his office. And so getting down there and kind of feeling the strength of the guys and all of that in a, in a one-on-one fashion uh, means something to him and that he wanted to be in, involved in that. So um, I thought that was interesting. And uh, I think there are probably some of these pro days left. And uh, if they're linebackers to be had, we can uh, expect maybe some more iPhone shot video to, uh, to show us Mike Vrabel working with some linebackers. And it's obviously a position where uh, we think the Titans have additions to make uh, inside guy to replace Avery Williamson and hopefully be a, a more dynamic player and certainly outside guy or two who could uh, add to the pass rush uh, with edge rusher being, I think, priority one for the Titans. 
but unfortunately for them, not just for the Titans, but for uh, for a good share of teams in the league. I want to talk about the big rule that was passed um, at the owners' meetings that was kind of the big surprise. Um, it wasn't wasn't on the public agenda before the meetings, but it uh, it was passed, I think, unanimously. Lowering the head to initiate contact with the helmet is a foul. 15-yard penalty. Now, we don't know how this is going to be enforced, how strictly it's going to be enforced. We don't know how well it's going to be taught, but I certainly hope the league has a very, very clear image of what they want to do with this. And you remember several years ago they put in, uh, you know, you can't lead with the crown of your helmet. So that that we thought was going to do away with running backs kind of lowering their head and banging into guys. Uh, And it was not that impactful a rule. There are a few um, examples of, uh, of somebody, a running back, really putting his head down and ramming that way where he got called for it. But it wasn't exceptionally frequent, and that's still on the books, and I can't remember seeing it called any time lately. This one, I think, has a lot of people worried, and I've seen uh, Richard Sherman and Josh Norman among the players who've spoken out, said, you know, what, what are we doing here, talking about making the game unrecognizable and uh, – and what's going to happen here? So it's it's rife with penalty possibilities. Um, you know, the league is trying to make clear that the helmet is for protection, not for use as a weapon. But again, um, it's another somewhat subjective call that falls on the plate of referees that I think uh, referees and officials that I think are generally overburdened. Um, and you know, the flags fly early in a big way where. Um, you know, guys really have to change the way they play right out of the gate. Is it a more gradual thing? Is it enforced only in situations where uh, it, its dr- use is dramatic? I don't know, but I, I think this is going to be a story that we're going to pay a lot of attention to. How do they educate the players about this? How do they enforce it? And how much does it ultimately change the game? Hey, I'm all for guys uh, avoiding head injuries. Um, and injuries in general, but also a lot of guys, uh, as rules come in to protect the head, quickly move to talk about how it's going to lead to more lower body injuries. And certainly for a guy's long-term health, um, you'd rather him, uh, you know, take a shot to his knee or his leg than you would to his head. But a guy who's trying to, uh, you know, get on the field as quickly as possible, return to the field as quickly as possible. Most of them are going to tell you um, uh, while they know the long-term consequences of the concussion that, um, you know, they're going to recover from that and get back on the field more quickly than they are from, from an ACL tear or, or, or even a knee sprain in most instances, a serious one. So that's something that we're really going to have to monitor. Two pieces that I had up free this week at paulkuharski.com that I hope you read. One about Jeff Fisher and Vince Young. Uh, these two could volley back and forth forever, and I don't think uh, fans would get tired of it. A guy who was a high-profile coach and is now out of it and a guy who was his high-profile quarterback and is now out of it, who did not have a good relationship. Um, and I think they're both um, guilty parties in, in that not panning out, though <clears throat> I don't know that Vince Young was ever going to get it and make it in a sustained way in the NFL. 
he made a big deal in a Sports Illustrated story a year ago about Fisher uh, not returning a letter that he sent to try to make amends. And so Fisher was at 104.5 The Zone's Sports Fest last week, and uh, the Midday 180 interviewed him, uh, Jonathan Hutton and, and Chad Withrow and I. Uh, and I asked him <clears throat> about this letter, and he said he's, he's been asked Fisher repeatedly for comments on, on several items that were raised by Vince Young in this, in this story, and that three of them were lies, um, and that he didn't feel like uh, it would benefit him to, to respond to those uh, issues, which is why he kept quiet. But that if this letter was, in fact, from Vince Young, it spelled his name wrong. It's F-I-S-H-E-R, not with a C. And uh, Vince, or whoever wrote this letter on his behalf, didn't spell it correctly. And it was also on University of Texas stationery. And Vince, we know, had had worked at the University of Texas. I'm not sure when or where. Uh, when. I'm not sure when that ended. Um, but a bit odd to write it on the university stationery instead of your own. At any rate, Fisher didn't answer it because he wasn't sure it was from Young. Um, totally believable to me that Young would spell his name wrong. Totally believable to me that Fisher would be uh, put off by a guy not even being able to spell his name right at this stage of their relationship. And so we get some drama. Uh, finally, before we move on to the members-only segment of this podcast, uh, a word or two about Nashville SC. Uh, I actually introduced myself to Ziggy Wolf and uh, his younger brother at the, at a reception at the owners' meeting to uh, to just say who I was and that I was from Nashville and that I, I had been to Nashville FC's opener. They are investors in the uh, Nashville MLS team sc is growing into that team in two or three years um, in the new stadium which will be built in nashville this game drew over eighteen thousand, uh, according to the announcement sold over twenty thousand. Uh, it was a rainy night uh, marketing wise i thought they did a poor job in in one big regard that they played pittsburgh uh, and pittsburgh wore yellow jerseys and the uh, Nashville SC put yellow towels down on all the seats in the stadium. And you can't ask your fans to wave yellow towels for their new team in a game where there's a yellow team on the field and you're not the yellow team, you're the blue team. Now, I don't know if that's a, a Nashville SC failure or if that's a uh, USL failure, but somebody's got to catch that happening and tell uh, Pittsburgh to wear white or to wear black and make sure that, that Nashville's in gold at that game. As far as the soccer's concerned, I would have loved to have been surprised by uh, better quality, but it was not very good quality. Scoreless draw, it ended in. Nashville really didn't have many good chances. One great chance on a sidewinder that uh, off a corner kick that, that bounced off a defender. But uh, Pittsburgh was much more threatening. And Gary Smith, I like uh, what I know of him, uh, but I'm told he's a defensive-minded coach that's going to try to ground out games and, and be happy to win one to nothing. Um, and that may be the best route for a team like this to win games early on, but it's not. it doesn't make for the most exciting soccer. Uh, and these guys in the panicky early stage of this game were just bombing balls into the box. Uh, not very, Not very threatening, not very – coordinated not very well organized not very 
showing off much technically, uh, not linking much together. Second half never made the final connecting pass, uh, rarely made the second to final connecting pass to produce a threatening situation. I'd prefer to see a, a more wide open, exciting game, um, you know, that, that leads to more goals. Um, and maybe we'll get there, but, uh, early indications for me is, uh, it was a middling minor league soccer club out there. I understand a lot of people are excited about getting in on the ground floor, but, um, not a lot of people going to be won over by that kind of game if that's the best they have to offer so we shall see listen if you're around for part two here which you should be you should be a member of paultorski.com you'd be listening to this through my website and uh after a brief pause we'd go right ahead here and brought to you by yazoo brewery uh some of nashville's finest beer i encourage you to check it out if you're not here for part two you're going to miss a pretty extensive conversation uh, about Amy Adams Strunk, who I uh, talked with privately in, in Orlando, Florida, about the, the team's ownership situation, about the, the plan uh, for the future, about all the uniform news that we've seen uh, creeping out and, and what percentage of it is, uh, is actually true on uh, what she did and didn't get a chance to say to Mike Malarkey on his way out the door after uh, she combined with John Robinson and, and Steve Underwood made the decision to let, let Malarkey go with one year left on his contract. Talk to her about nepotism where the Titans uh, hired, not just Dean Pease, but Dean Pease's son as a uh, low ranking defensive assistant. And I've got a Mike Vrabel catchphrase that I think you're going to like uh, where he talked about how, how he's, uh, how he's going to treat his players. Uh, I think you'll be interested in that. I've also got the two guys who are remaining atop my draft board for the Titans. You're listening to the Paul Kuharski podcast through uh, paulkuharski.com, brought to you by Yazoo Brewery. If you're not a member, please head to paulkuharski.com. Click on the membership link if you're on your phone or your tablet. Uh, There's a little box with three little lines, and if you hit that, the membership details will pop out. If you're on a laptop, it'll be right there. I encourage you to join. I think members will tell you they're getting their money's worth. And again, you want to pretend you're getting the same stuff from that you're getting from me from uh, ESPN or the Tennessean, well, or or TitansOnline.com. You're simply not. Uh, they're not at all this stuff. They're not necessarily asking these sorts of questions, and um, you're missing out. If you're all the way in, prove it to yourself. For the price of a, of a beer, for the price of a fancy cup of coffee, join paulkonarski.com. Members, stick around, and after a short pause, we'll delve into all that and more in part two. Thanks, everybody. The Paul Kuharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkuharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.